This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, April 27th, 2023 edition. And today was a fun day in the market. We had a couple of rough days, some bloody days, uh, shall you say, to start the week. But today was a nice and rosy one. And uh, it was it continues this choppy pattern that we've seen. Uh, and I'm going to dig into this a little bit more. And you'll you'll uh, throughout the show, you'll understand a little bit more why we're in this choppy period. Hint, hint, one word, liquidity. Okay, and it's a it's an underappreciated aspect of the direction of the market. And, you know, the reason that is, is because nobody talks about it on CNBC, on Bloomberg, you're really not going to find it. Remember, those outlets, they're there to get you to listen more, get you to pay attention more. That's why you only hear them talk about a handful of, of stocks that are in the news. You know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of public companies. Yet on those outlets, you get maybe two, three dozen that they typically talk about over and over again. You would think that that would be the only place to invest. And you'd be wrong. And you're missing out on a lot of the universe of great opportunities. And that's ultimately the path to success is to be flexible. Not be married or fall in love with any one asset class, one company. Everything has its day in the sun. Companies that are world beaters today may be turned on its head a year later and vice versa. And so when you're focusing on a very small set, subset of names, you're missing a lot of information. And so that's why we love your calls. That's why this format is ideal for everybody to learn as much as they possibly can. Because we get calls from around the world, across different sectors, sizes, and that ultimately will open you up to more opportunity, more lessons to be learned. And that's what we're here for, is to give you as many lessons each hour as possible so that you can add it to your tool belt. Just like in life, it's never... Very few people succeed at being good at one thing. It's stacking multiple expertise or strengths on top of each other to be good at all the things in life, right? You don't go to the gym and you just lift biceps and think you're in shape, right? It's a full body endeavor. Same with investing. You don't just know about one sector. 
and think you know everything about investing and know how to succeed. It's just not how it works. So it's important to be well-rounded in everything in life and in investing and with your money. So money, good money habits, savings, spending correctly, all of that is vital to your ultimate goal, which is financial freedom. So we're ready to answer your finance and investment questions so we can help shape your thinking to become a more successful investor. So I encourage you to reach out to our anytime listener line. It's 888-99-CHART. I've got a lot of material to cover for you today. One is in regards to how to navigate the debt ceiling impasse. You're going to see a lot of headlines, a lot of headlines over the next couple of months in regards to the debt ceiling. It's going to rattle a lot of nerves. A lot of people are concerned about it. Many get emotional, especially if they tend to be overly, overly political. But you know what? I've seen this play out so many times. I've been doing this over two decades. And it's just time after time after time. And it's, uh, it's, it's headline grabbing. It's something for the major news outlets to discuss. And not to say that it, it isn't interesting to a degree or important, but it's overblown and there's far more important aspects to cover. So we're going to try to get to those aspects and hint, hint, it's actually what's going to happen after the debt ceiling is resolved, not what's going to happen up until the debt ceiling. All right. So we're going to look at that. Also, I want to touch on a few other aspects of different industries. One is in regards to the solar industry and a large solar, say solar company had earnings and they hinted at some trouble ahead for the industry. And you would think, oh, we we have all these government subsidies. Well, as with anything, it's not one factor. There are other factors that are throwing a little wrench in the solar industry. So we're going to look at that. Also, LNG, Russian LNG in particular, that looks to be cut off soon. And what impact could that have on the global energy market? So we're going to unpack that. And lastly, the Fed is looking to shift the regulation that's hit a lot of losses within the the small and medium-sized bank sector with Silicon Valley Bank and others. And we're going to look at what changes might be made. All right. We also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is in regards to Photronics Incorporated and Medical Properties Trust. So I have all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, we're taking your live calls as well at 888-99-CHART. Let's take a look at the market today. It was a decidedly positive day. The broad market was up 1.89% really on the back of Meta, or Facebook, shall we still call it. And they had pretty good earnings, and they're belt tightening, laying off workers, and uh, pulling back on their investment in the Metaverse. Pay dividends, their their margins improved, uh, despite a still relatively slow ad market, uh, and that pushed the the, the, that part of the market up. 
But broadly, the mid caps are up 1.6, small caps up 1.4. Pretty solid day overall after a, a rough start to the week and a good, good bounce off of near-term support for the broad market. All right, we had, what else did we have? We had, I think interest rates moved down. Let me pull up the chart here. Gold was about flat. We had the 10 year that was, oh, up nine basis points. Yeah, so uh, continue to have good earnings or you know decent earnings. Market staying relatively buoyant. And obviously that uh, portends to a rate hike next week. Remember, Fed week coming up next week and it won't be just about what they do but it will be about what they say now we're going into a quick break please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the invest talk voice bank or if you're listening live via our live stream you can call right now at 888-99 chart when listener questions are played on the invest talk podcast how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. Here. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, uh, this is Dan from Walnut Creek, and I've got a question on uh, communications. So my communications sector, um, I have Comcast, which makes up 1.2%, Verizon, ATT, which make up another 3%, um, T-Mobile, which makes up uh, almost 3%. I was thinking of selling AT&T and Verizon and buying more Comcast. I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Thanks a lot. Bye. Yeah, Comcast is a solid name. Obviously, you're shifting your exposure from the wireless carriers to uh, a cable company, a uh, internet access company, a phone service company. And they provide it to roughly 61 million U.S. households and businesses. That's nearly half of the country, okay? About 55% of the homes in their territory subscribe to at least one of Comcast's services. So it owns NBC Universal, very large company, $169 billion market cap. And, you know, for as much as everyone says cable is dying, there's still... It's, it's very slow. And when you also provide internet, you still need internet for streaming. So uh, Comcast is, is staying strong on that front. Now, certainly slow growth, but you're paying 
a pretty low multiple here. Enterprise value to EBITDA right about nine, which isn't bad. Uh, it's right around the long-term average, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily uh, cheap or expensive. It's a good company, good cash flow, not a, has a good amount of debt in its balance sheet. So I think that's the biggest worry is, is how much of that nice cash flow is going to flow to debt holders. That's about $12 billion in free cash flow on a $170 billion market cap. That's about a 70% free cash flow yield, which is nice and healthy. So you, you, you know, what's happening in the wireless space is T-Mobile is taking some market share and that's really, the, the, I think, the biggest issue for Verizon and AT&T. And Comcast, you're just dealing with a, a different beast here. So uh, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that uh, idea of moving some from AT&T and Verizon over to Comcast. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this headline, navigating the debt ceiling impasse. Now, according to the U.S. Treasury, looking back as far as 1960, Congress has raised or suspended the debt ceiling 78 different times, okay? And from 1917 onward, this has been kind of an issue. Congress has allowed the U.S. Treasury Department instead to, to issue bonds however it sees fit, but they're constrained by a congressionally set debt ceiling. This goes back to 1917, so over 100 years. And in 1917, the U.S. federal debt was approximately $5.7 billion, $5.7 billion. Today, it's $31 trillion. That's a 5,000-fold increase in 106 years. It's a pretty, pretty big move. Now, politicians typically oppose raising the debt ceiling. They're doing so more due to a narrative because the, the ultimate decision on how much should be spent has already been made. So it's kind of semantics and a lot of political theater. And if you don't raise the debt ceiling, that means that you default on Social Security, Medicare, previously authorized spending, or you must default on the debt. So the idea of fiscal restraint is really relevant more when they're passing spending plans. So they could vote against the spending plan and, you know, when it happens, or they could propose new legislation to reform existing spending. But a lot of this, once again, is political theater. This is what happens. And typically, this is more to do with party politics. Politicians generally don't make an issue regarding the debt ceiling when their own party is in the White House. That's historically how it's been for you know, nearly 100 years. So after the break, we're going to go to a quick break. I'm going to talk about the debt ceiling process and then what to think about around uh, these headlines and your portfolio. Now we're going into a quick break. And please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 in the Bay Area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART.
Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, the Treasury has something called the Treasury General Account, and it's very similar to your own checkbook. We have a checking account, and we go, typically, uh, we pay for the things that we need uh, out of our checking account, and the Treasury does the same thing. Now, when the government reaches its debt ceiling or approaches its debt ceiling, it, it typically will, the Treasury, will call on extraordinary measures in order to continue to pay its bills. Now, the first thing we'll do is just draw down that checking account closer to zero. And they'll also do things like stop reinvesting soldier and federal civilian retirement holdings and treasuries. And that frees up uh, another about $300 billion or so. The Treasury General Account target for cash is about $500 billion, okay? So when you start drawing those two things down, that can ultimately uh, provide more liquidity to go spend out in the economy and pay for things. But eventually that's tapped out. And that's when actual defaults can occur. And securities are defaulted on due to insufficient cash balances and the inability to issue new debt to refinance that debt maturity. Now, a small temporary default would negatively impact the creditworthiness of the country, obviously, and probably negatively impact some individuals who are temporarily defaulted on. But a large permanent default is unlikely. So this is more like, hey, you're supposed to get your principal and interest back, but we don't have it quite yet. When we figure out the debt ceiling, you're going to get it. So if you know there, there is some sort of impasse the, and in default, it's temporary and it's not something where, oh, you lose your principal forever. It's just kind of a, a likely a short delay in your returning of your principal and interest, which is technically a default. And the treasury market is taking the likelihood of that somewhat seriously. Now, one way or the other, though, the debt ceiling will be raised. This is all about political calculus and, and gamesmanship. But what's most important is what's going to happen after this. And, you know, going back to early last year, the Federal Reserve started doing QT, quantitative tightening, and ultimately that sucks liquidity of the financial system and it's usually negative for asset prices. Now, they've continued to do that and the total balance sheet uh, drew down until the banking crisis in March. And then due to the systems they put in place, the balance sheet jumped. And so since late September of last year, the, Je- the Treasury general account has been drawing down. That's been a net positive for liquidity. You also, and then you also have the QT going on. That's a net negative for liquidity. And so you've had this kind of choppy period. 
So overall, domestic liquidity has been rather flat over that time, and thus asset prices have been roughly flat. Now, the small, ne- small positive is that the dollar has been weak. So it's been a bit of a positive. So global liquidity since sep- late September, early October has been flat to positive worldwide. So that's why you have this kind of choppy to kind of up period since then. So the question is, in a couple of months, once we get through this, what's next? Well, the Treasury will issue more debt. They'll be able to. They're going to refill the Treasury general account. And that's going to pull liquidity out of the system along with ongoing QT. Ultimately, that would be a net negative for risk assets. Now, the U.S. government is running a very large deficit. $1.1 trillion over the past six months. And there aren't a lot of buyers of this debt. Commercial banks aren't buying a lot of treasuries. Foreign sectors uh, in aggregate aren't really buying treasuries. So someone needs to buy these treasuries. And there's really three options. One is the Fed could capitulate and go back to QE. This is what they did in the 40s. They did yield curve control. They capped interest rates and they just bought as much debt that was issued at a certain rate. The Bank of Japan is doing that right now. The Bank of England did that temporarily last fall. The Fed ended their quantitative tightening because of this in 2019 for very similar reasons. So that's option number one. Number two is the U.S. Treasury Department could issue a ton of short-term debt rather than long duration bonds. And this would be filled. This would, the demand here would come from money market accounts, short term uh, instruments that are investing in these short term uh, T-bills. I think that's probably the biggest option or most obvious option is just short duration. And then the third is the dollar could weaken enough and that could bring back foreign buyers. Typically when the dollar weakens, that's when buyers come back in. So after the debt ceiling is resolved, that's going to be the big question is how does our spending, how, how is our spending financed? And that's something to watch to see how strongly liquidity will ebb over the back half of the year. Now we're heading into a break. I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say... You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, 
listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin, Chuck and Clayton. Hey, got a question about MPW, Medical Properties Trust, Mary Paul William. Bought it back in 2019, about $20 a share. Did very well for me for a while, and now it's dropped to right around $8 a share. Plus, I see they've got some lawsuits coming. I'm a long-term investor. I'm uh, not in any hurry. And based on the amount of loss that it's had, what do you think my thought process is to hold on to it, ride it through this, and see if we start climbing back up again? But I have been having thinking thoughts lately of just getting rid of it and trying to put my money somewhere else where it will grow better. MPW, thoughts on holding for the long haul, if it'll come back up, or get it out of my portfolio and just go in a new direction. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you for all you do. All right, this is Medical Properties Trust, and we've had a lot of calls on this the last the couple of years, and I keep saying, stay away. Uh, part of it's the chart. The chart is uh, definitely putrid, but it's really understanding what's happening with the business. They're two largest tenants, Steward Healthcare Systems, and I believe the other one is uh, Prospect Medical Holdings. Right together, that's about 37, 38% of their total revenue. And both of those companies are on the brink of bankruptcy. So <clears throat> that's the problem here is that their tenants are struggling and they have themselves lent money to these entities to keep them going. So they are, they have debt, you know, to basically. They're on the line, uh, on the hook for a few of these names. And so, that, so that's the issue here. And that's why <clears throat> I've been saying pass until this is, is resolved. Uh, and so the, ultimately the dividend is going to get cut. And this is struggling along with their top two tenants. So, yeah, you want to move on. This is something a lot of people say I'm a long-term investor. And I think that's great. But you have to be able to cut and run when you see big enough problems, especially those that are bankruptcy creating for them or, you know, related entities. So, you know, a lot of people fall in love with the dividend. They say, well, I'm just collecting a dividend and, and, and I'm a long-term investor. But you only want to be a long-term investor in good businesses in good assets, not ones that just frankly continue to struggle. So I would cut and run, to be honest with you. I know you're down a lot, but you have better options out there. And that's really what it's about. It's about what is that 
opportunity cost to be in something else that's treating your capital better. All right, now let's play two in a row from the Invest Talk Voice Bank. This time, it's a question that came in earlier from the United Kingdom on 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin. Um, it's Alex here from the UK. Um, I'm calling about a stock I've been looking at, small cap. Um, all the stats look good. The stock is Photronics, P-L-A-B, and it's in the semiconductor space, which is what makes me a bit nervous. But everything else looks really good. The cash flow, um, positive earnings, it's under a billion in market cap. And I just wondered what your thoughts were as it's just hit its 200-week um, um, moving average um, as to whether if this bounces, it's potentially a good hold for the long run. Um, I'd love your views and um, any other insights you might be able to give. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Yeah, the technicals, it has hit the 200-week moving average, as you said, right around 14 and change. That is also the low from late last year. So a little double bottom here. The problem is that earnings last quarter, which had been growing dramatically, were down 39% year over year. And earnings this year are supposed to drop 6% year over year. Revenues last quarter only up 11% year over year. And so the worry, I think, here for the markets is that there is some level of reversion to the mean because pre-pandemic, this was a business that was fine. It was making money, but there wasn't a ton of growth and earnings were kind of bouncing around. Right, 2016 made 47 cents a share, then 19 cents a share the next year, then 59 cents a share, then 44 cents a share in 2019, and in 2020, 52 cents, but then up to $1.94 last year. So you have to ask yourself, what's making this so profitable? Their long-term return on equity is about four, five, four, sorry, five or 6%. Right now it's about 13%, which still is kind of eh. So what that's telling me is that they're products are, uh, are not that differentiated from their competitors. Their margins are relatively low. So they mainly make integrated circuits that go into flat panel TVs. And obviously, everyone bought a flat panel TV during the pandemic, and they wanted to have a nice big TV because they were sitting at home on their couch streaming Netflix. You don't need those anymore. You only need one every, what, five, 10 years? So I don't like the technicals, although yes, it has hit support, but the fundamental backdrop is too murky for me. I don't like their part of the chip industry that they're in. And I don't like that long-term profitability, which is much, much lower. So I'm passing on PLAB, P-L-A-B. Now let's touch a bit on another part of the tech sector, the hardware tech sector, and that is the solar industry. And U.S. rooftop solar has grown because of two big catalysts. One is a lot of subsidies from governments, both state and on the federal level, and then low interest rates to finance these big, expensive solar systems. And the problem here is that 
both of these are now going in the wrong direction. End phase, it manufactures micro inverters for rooftop solar panels. They had their earnings on Tuesday. And its stock fell 24% the next morning. And it dragged down other solar companies like SunPower and SolarEdge. Now, total revenues were in line, but per usual, it's not about what the company just did. It's about what is going, ha- going to happen in the future. And revenue guidance for the second quarter was weaker than the market had expected. And they had a very tough commentary in regards to the near-term challenges in the U.S. solar market. They said that the sell-through of microinverters in the U.S. was 20, 21% lower in the first quarter compared to the previous quarter. Now, typically, the, the first quarter is weaker, but usually it's a 15% decline. So this was 21%. And it was particularly weak in areas like Texas, Florida, and Arizona. And they said higher interest rates are making it harder for people to get financing, right? Tighter credit standards, especially after the recent, uh, the recent banking crisis makes it more expensive for these systems. And another source of uncertainty is California here in California, the largest rooftop solar market. And they passed something called energy metering 3.0. And it effectively reduces the amount of rooftop solar customers get for selling excess energy to 20 to 30% of the previous rate. So cut by over two-thirds. Now, this, interesting enough, boosted demand in the first quarter because it was for applications submitted before April 15th, they got the old rate. But after that, here on after, it's now at that much lower rate. And Wood McKenzie expects the U.S. residential solar market to contract by 3% in next year. So that would be the first full year of eff- affected by the California new rules. So that's what's very interesting about this sector as a whole is that it's not, it's not just about the subsidies on the federal level, but it's also how state and local governments legislate the industry as well. Subsidies and rules, especially around utilities. <clears throat> and utilities, they don't want to be put out of business. Right? They have big pockets. They need to make money as well. And if they're being usurped by the solar industry, they're going to push back. And it looks like they have. And so that's why that sector just isn't doing very well right now. And uh, as long as interest rates stay high, it seems like even with the Inflation Reduction Act, it's not putting any juice in that sector. All right. Now, Stephen, I've been telling you for a while that we are in a new market regime. Cycles are just natural, part of human life and markets. And if you're a serious investor, you're serious about succeeding and reaching your ultimate goals, you need to have strategies that fit these times. And guess what? It's not just sticking it in an index fund. You're overweight to sectors that, frankly, it's old news. That was in an era of 
zero interest rates, a financial repression. Now we're in an era of inflation, deglobalization. And are you prepared for that? Well, if you need help understanding whether you're on the right path, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve and see if you are ready and we can help advise and assist you, but only when you ask us. Obviously on this show, we can talk about one particular stock, but frankly, that's not going to solve your problem. Your problem isn't solved by one particular move. It's a holistic view of your portfolio, of your strategy. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment at our company, KPP Financial, all you have to do is reach out. Go over to investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review button, fill it out, and we'll set up a meeting via telephone or go to meeting. Or you can give our office a call at 800 557 5461. Now, this is Invest Talk. We are 30 seconds from another listener question, so hang on. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Stephen Justin, good afternoon. This is Andrew Collin from Utah. Listen, I, I've been uh, kind of caught on the wrong side of the short here with uh, both Amazon and Facebook. Started on a couple of weeks ago. Not a, not a huge portion of my portfolio, just a couple percent. But just wanted to hear your take on should I just cover that and get out of it right now? Um, just been kind of caught on the wrong side of the earnings beat that they they both had recently. So just give me uh, your take on that. I'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, both uh, Amazon and Meta are having a, a nice counter trend rally, and that's the the growth side of the market through the this year, right? And a lot of that has to do with improving liquidity dynamics, and you know it depends on your risk level, and that's why you you always want to uh, line up the technicals with the the fundamentals, and you know near term the the short term technicals on, on those names are are fine, so. I think there can be some some near term upside now. When liquidity might tighten later in the year, uh, next year, you know that'll be a time when uh, you know you could see some continued uh, that continued longer term downtrend that uh, they both started uh, what early last year, late twenty twenty one, and uh, that's that's ultimately probably what will happen over the next um, you know year or two is you'll you'll have that reassertion uh, of that downtrend um, for probably both of them. Uh, so. You know, near term, once again, you, you've had that, that counter trend rally. I think that will that will shift. Um, but it's always important to line up those two factors, the fundamentals and the technicals. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on the European gas market. And obviously, Europe in general slashed their reliance on Russian fossil fuels. In general, they banned imports of crude and diesel, and they went to look for new supplies to replace all of that natural gas that was pumping to them via uh, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. But one carve-out to that sanction was LNG, liquefied natural gas. 
And basically, they stopped signing new contracts, but they allowed existing contracts to be fulfilled. And that has obviously kept their coffers full, both the uh, uh, the Russian coffers as well as the the storage tanks. And they were filling up their storage tanks uh, pre-invasion. But, you know, additionally, they've been trying to continue to find new sources of, of gas. And part of that was just keeping those contracts of LNG. Now, the EU energy policy chief told European companies to refrain from signing those new contracts. Uh, and imports from tankers, which are built uh, to punch through the the ice in like places like Siberia, that rose over 38% in 2022 to more than, more than 15 million metric tons. That's the highest level ever. And stockpiles are around 55% full. That's a record for this time of year and almost 30 percentage points higher than a year earlier. But losing all this natural gas means they, they have to find it somewhere else. So ultimately, I think that's going to be a net positive for domestic here in the U.S. natural gas prices as they're going to have to continue to, to import elsewhere. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I think this will have a positive impact on energy prices. Now we're heading to our final break, so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and uh, Justin. My name is John. I am a client of uh, KPP. My question today is, I have a, a 457 through my employer. They don't match it or anything. I've just been invested into it myself. I have almost $400,000 in there, and it's been in a very safe haven. Uh, I've only been collecting about 2% interest on it for a number of years. And I was just wondering, I'm 70 years old. I'm retired from uh, the NYPD. I have a pension. I just signed up for my Social Security at 70. And I was wondering if it'd be worth it for me to roll this 457 over into a uh, a Roth IRA. You can answer that question. I'd really appreciate it. And thank you again. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for the call, John. And thanks for being a client. Uh, and I, I would encourage you to schedule a call with me uh, so we can discuss this further. And yeah, I mean, rolling this into an IRA of some kind uh, makes sense. Uh, you roll it into a Roth IRA, that's all going to be taxable income to you, 400000 in one year. You probably don't want that. Uh, so rolling that directly into an IRA makes the most sense, and obviously we can talk about that. So give me a call. We can talk about uh, your options and, and the tax implications. Uh, but, but yeah, anybody who's over 59 and a half has money in a 401k, uh, 457, any of those workplace retirement accounts, they should, you should probably roll that into an IRA. It's really doesn't make sense to keep it there and stuck within those investment options. And you have a lot more flexibility within an IRA. So, uh, yeah, give me a call, set up a meeting and we can discuss that further. All right, let's touch a bit on the new rules coming down the pike or potentially coming down the pike with 
bank treatment of unrealized losses. And the Fed is considering ending the exemption that allows some banks to boost the amount of capital they report to regulators, especially ones like Silicon Valley Bank. Now, capital is the buffer that a bank has against losses. Now, if this was adopted, it would reverse the rules that were put in place in 2019. And this is because of heightening oversight over these mid-sized banks. And it basically, the 2019 rule exempted them from having to report these losses. And this would apply to about 30 companies with between $100 billion and $700 billion in assets. So only 30. And it would probably be phased back in over a number of years. But these are these would affect banks like U.S. Bancorp, PNC, Truist, Capital One. They all might have to bolster capital. That means less stock buybacks, potentially retaining more earnings, so lower dividends, and raising new capital in general. Banks are obviously trying to keep this rule in place. And they're arguing that it would introduce too much volatility into their capital metrics and raise the cost of, uh, of mortgages and treasuries because it would make them less incentivized to go and put some of their capital into long-term treasury debt that has duration risk. And that's really what took down Silicon Valley Bank and the others. Same with their mortgage security. So the cost of mortgages would probably go up as well. Ultimately, I think they probably find some middle ground here and, you know, uh, make it so they have, they have to report it in some way, maybe two levels, two tiers of, of capital that they report, right? One that includes unrealized losses, one that doesn't. So there's a lot of ways that they could go about this to try to keep the incentive here to buy longer term debt because ultimately that's what a bank is supposed to do right it borrows short and it lends long and if it can't really lend long its duration risk is too large that ultimately becomes a big problem so i don't know how they're going to resolve this there's definitely going to be a fight here uh but something to watch to see how that comes out and what type of stability or instability that throws within the mid-size financial sector, right? Remember that the large ones, they're already under, they don't have this exemption. And this exemption is what kind of caused the, 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 the banking crisis. So uh, there'll probably be some middle ground once again. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. It's official. We now surpassed the 52 million download mark since it all began. I actually heard a call from another show questioning whether we have 52 million downloads. Yeah, we have been podcasting since 2008 and we have a lot of listeners. So um, it was kind of funny to hear somebody question that. But um, yeah, we have the data to back it up. But thanks for tuning in. It's all thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, 
It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.